You have questions? We have answers. We're two Southern moms on the backside of raising kids. And we have some things to say. We've lived life, made mistakes, and learned some lessons. Join us for answers to the questions you just want to ask your mom. another Just Ask Your Mom podcast. I'm Bonnie Blaylock. And I'm Renee Sproles. Well, we are so up for this episode. Today, our conversation is about food allergies and sensitivities. I can't tell you how many times we've had this topic suggested. So many times and we kept putting it off. I know, because we really <laughs> don't know a ton about it. We haven't had that much experience, but it's a super important subject and parents have tons of questions about it. Yeah. So we decided to tackle this topic. We needed an expert. And today we have an expert. Thank you to Dr. Marcy Castleberry for being our guest for this discussion. Welcome. Thank you. I'm super happy to be here. Thank you, guys. Um, I, I do want to, you know, kind of give a clarification. I am a general pediatrician. I'm not an allergist. Um, and these are complex issues. And so um, seeing a board-certified allergist for these issues is very, very important and, and helps us and also parents as they navigate these issues. So, um, but I'm, I'm super you know, interested in this topic and very, very excited and happy to be here. Thank you for having me. And now would be a good time to do our medical disclaimer. So although Dr. Castleberry is a pediatrician by profession, she's not your pediatrician. And all information on this podcast is just that. It's for information and educational purposes only. It's not medical advice, and use of this podcast does not establish any kind of patient-client relationship. So always consult a professional in your area for your particular needs and circumstances prior to making any decisions for you or your child's health. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay, yeah, here's true confessions moment. This is not in our notes. Um <laughs> Do you remember me interviewing you before I had Emma as a for I actually do. Okay. That, many years so ago. So <laughs> I should have picked you. I actually wanted to pick you. And I had so little confidence in my ability to be a mom oh, that it, I literally just looked to this other mom who I thought was a good mom, air quotes, yes, good mom. Yes, yes. And I just said, who did you pick? And yes. she just picked, had picked somebody else. And you and made a good choice. The thing no, is... No, no, I didn't. That's not... Okay. The story was it was bad, Marcy. So here's the deal. Uh, I just... I'm like saying again, because if you're a listener on this podcast, you know, like I had a lot of very low confidence in my ability to mother. I think I, most new mothers do. And I... So I was looking to someone else who was very much not like me, not my personality at all. And yeah. I followed her lead. And that pediatrician was a great match for her yes but your personality would have been a perfect match for me and so well, i am just saying i'm so excited to have you here because you're the doctor i should have picked <laughs> oh, that's really sweet well there are lots of good choices for pediatricians um i mean in in our town as well as in my practice and um and i do think you made a good choice but you're right it has a lot to do with the individual personalities um you know i've had patients that mm, we just didn't click you know for whatever reason and then i've had ones that come to me from other ones because we clicked better than their original ones yeah. so that's all okay so mamas trust your yeah. trust your intuition yeah. there when you're looking for that person to be your doctor that you're going to go to quite right. a bit so Bonnie tell us a little bit about Marcy's credentials before we get started if you would right okay so as she said she's board certified in pediatrics she's got this medical degree from LSU and she completed her pediatric re residency at Le Bonheur Children's Hospital in Memphis which I think sounds super fancy <laughs> oh, I was like was that in France <laughs> or Memphis <laughs> Children's Hospital <laughs> so she's been a pediatrician for over 25 years which means that by now which cool she mm -hmm. started seeing a second generation the children of her former patients true yeah so that's really neat so emma could have been the second generation i know <laughs> thanks knife <laughs> to the heart <laughs> oh so because um of the prevalence of allergies and sensitivities and there seems like there's been a rise i think that's why our listeners are sending this question right. over and over mm -hmm. and so um 
we're wondering, is that right? Are we, what we're saying, is that correct? Are you seeing a rise, Dr. Castleberry? Yes. You know, it, it's hard for any individual, you know, practitioner to notice, you know, made trends like that. You know, you kind of have to look at thousands of thousands of patients over, you know, decades to really see that. But yes, people who, who study that have shown that there is an increase in atopic diseases in general. So I'm going to define that. Atopic diseases are, it's really defined as uh, atopic dermatitis, um, allergic rhinitis, uh, so allergies, what we think of as allergies, and asthma. And so along with that, though, food allergies is a component of that as well. So all of those things have been on the rise, particularly in developed countries, um, and food allergies in particular have increased. There was, um, you know, one of the numbers I saw was that um, between 1997 and 2008, in the United States, children less than 18 years old, the um, the incidence of peanut allergy specifically rose from about 0.4% in 1997 to one point, I believe it was 1.4% in um, 2008 so almost uh, more than tripled in that period of time so wow. yes. sounds like a tiny little number yes one, but, but that's tons and tons but if of you're kids. the one with the allergy that's, it's 100 percent. Right. that's yeah. right <laughs> that's it's right yes or if it's your child that totally matches our experience because yes. our kids were born in the 90s mm-hmm. and now they're in their young adults in their 20s mm-hmm. and i mean i grew up in the 70s 80s and me too same i, I never heard of all this yes stuff. this was nothing when when i was a kid mm-hmm. um yeah, we had classrooms with peanut butter cookies. Oh, all the time. All kinds of, uh, you know, forbidden yeah. foods. If you were a class mom, you just brought whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there and was no everybody ate it. Yes. <laughs> there was nothing going on. We had red dye galore. <laughs> like, and we liked it. We went trick-or-treating and ate whatever was in our bag. Yeah, there was no, it was not a thing at all. But 20 years later, um, my daughter was born in 96. And by the time she was one, she kind of put herself on this self-imposed milk strike is what we called Mm -hmm. it. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, she wouldn't drink milk. She wouldn't eat yogurt. She wouldn't touch cheese. Interesting. Um, And it kind of came out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We had to get creative about how she was getting vitamin D. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, And eventually just switched to soy milk. So we Mm -hmm. thought, okay, that's weird. But we let that kind of go. And by the time my youngest was in preschool, there was only one kid in his class uh, well, he had all these restrictions. He couldn't have egg or dairy or mm-hmm. um, peanut, nothing. This mm-hmm. poor kid, I thought, what What does this poor mom serve? Yeah. Um, and then we had some peanut allergies starting to come up. <clears throat> yeah, with our good friends. Yeah. yeah. And um, then uh, with us, yeah, my, my kids both were sensitive, even to my breast milk, but I didn't know it. Mm-hmm. I, I only, you know, I hadn't had a kid before, and I mm-hmm. thought you, the diapers were supposed to look like that. And right. so I didn't change anything in my diet but yeah once they were drinking um, dairy cow's milk Mm -hmm. they couldn't tolerate it Mm -hmm. and so we switched to soy or almond or all these other different milks and our nephew who's just a little bit older than my kids so he was born in 1993 he had a peanut allergy Mm -hmm. and that was my first experience Mm. with a peanut allergy and his parents they just they didn't go out to eat ever yeah, it's just scary. Okay. Yeah. You know, yeah, back then, no. <clears throat> nobody yeah. knew what to, no, restaurants didn't cater to anybody, no. and there yeah. was nothing like that. No. Yeah. Yeah. My um, daughter, fast forward through high school, had some celiac mm-hmm. friends that uh, were diagnosed with gluten. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what is gluten? Mm-hmm. <laughs> gluten? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then her husband <laughs> now has a peanut allergy. In fact, uh, last year they were visiting us, and Ben, my son, was home made himself a smoothie in the blender with all his good stuff, including peanut butter at our mm-hmm. house. And then my son-in-law went to go make something in the blender and left to go to his uh, internship. And along the way, <gasps> he starts having this reaction because the blender hadn't been cleaned in, in wow. between, you know. They're really clean. Because we don't, yeah. yes. we just hadn't had to think about yes. that really. Yes. So, That's right. Yeah. 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 It's scary. It is. Yeah. So we were reading about different countries like uh, Germany and Italy and Norway and you were saying at the, in the intro developed mm-hmm. countries first world countries mm-hmm. see more of this that's what we were reading is the the lowest rates those French they got it with the food <laughs> don't they <laughs> no eat like oh, the French <laughs> yeah so the French in the UK 14 percent um Iceland 11 percent Spain 11 percent 22 percent in a lot of other developed countries yeah. so show some sort of sensitivity to food that's that's just a lot. That's a lot more than mm-hmm. what we were 
yeah. you know, describing um, from our childhoods. So, mm-hmm. so the question is why? The question is why? Can you just explain what's happening in developing countries versus here? <laughs> well, you know, nobody knows for sure. I mean, it's all it's all theory. And let me say something else too. It's really hard to study this because it's it's expensive and difficult, you know, to follow people, you know, for for you know decades and get these numbers. And and it's also it depends on what your terms are. Like if you ask parents, you know, there's, you know, like some studies, you know, if you just ask parents, you know, do your children have food allergies? 33% of parents will say so, but they don't, they're not deciphering between they get a rash or, you know, they get a tummy ache or they get constipated or who knows, whatever. And then also there are, you know, non- allergy food sensitivities like you know lactose intolerance for instance you know um, which has nothing to do with allergies um, so so there's diff- so it's defining the terms can be really difficult because yourself because the parents are self-defining yes and also even with studies sometimes the way they're defining it so it like for instance you can be sensitized to a food and not be allergic to it okay so sensitized means if you do a blood test and you have a positive IgE level to that food you're sensitized. So IgE is an antibody. We have different types of antibodies. Um, IgE is the one that is related to allergy. And if, let's say, if I have a child who I suspect of having a peanut allergy and I, because they've had a reaction, a parent has come and said, you know, we had this and we got this rash and, you know, and let's figure it out. Well, for one thing, I will typically send them to an allergist as part of that evaluation, but I will first go ahead and um, test uh, the IgE level to peanut. It's a blood test. If that is positive, that means they're sensitized to that food. But it's not considered an allergy unless they also have had a reaction to that food. So in other words, you don't really want to kind of willy-nilly go and do a bunch of tests on someone to test IgE levels to you know a lot of different foods because it doesn't matter if you've never had a reaction to that food. You're not allergic. It's 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 immaterial, basically. So sometimes when they do these measures of uh, incidence or how, how common these things are, they'll just look at IgE levels, how many people have positive IgE levels, um, instead of saying, okay, how many of these people actually have adverse reactions along with their positive IgE levels. Does that make sense? So the IgE is giving you an indication that you have a sensitivity to it. You're sensitized. So it's interesting. What it means is that at some point along the way, your body has seen that allergen. In other words, you know, it's absorbed into your body, usually through the gut, ideally through the gut. And the body has gone, oh, that's, you know, foreign, you know, that's, and, and so it's made antibody against it. But, um, it doesn't necessarily mean that, that that it will then cause an allergic reaction in the patient. And and usually usually and when you do IgE levels there's different levels, you know, and there's like we do what's called immunocap testing. So it's um, zero means no reaction at all and then there's a level 1 through 6. So if someone has a true food allergy, likely they're going to have a higher, you know, level 4 through 6. So someone might have like a level 1 or 2 um, to something, say like peanut or cow's milk or something like that. Cow's milk's the big one because you, it's, it's not uncommon for people to have a positive IgE to cow's milk, you know, at level one or, you know, maybe two, but when they drink cow's milk, they have no problem. So they are sensitized to cow's milk. Their body at some point made an an IgE, you know, antibody to it, but they are not allergic to it. And so anyway, we've kind of gone off a little bit on a tangent, I know, but it is important because when you cause when you talk about incidents, if you're if you're going to talk about incidents of food true true food allergy, it's really you need to talk about true allergy, not just a reaction, not just sensitization, not, not that antibody that somebody yes, has. Yes, yes, so exactly. If you're sensitive yeah. to it like that, if my yes. child is sensitive, whether I know it or yes, not, yes. I haven't. I can't personally do the IgE in my own house, right? but sensitive to cow's milk, and I continue to give it to her. Yes through whatever yes. yogurt or whatever is that bad yes okay. <laughs> it, it is that's and it's a good question and and that parents will pretty much never do that because because an, an allergic reaction to a food is not subtle typically um they'll you know it happens within minutes usually it always happens within two hours i tell parents it's usually within 15 minutes always within two hours and usually it's less than 15 minutes typically you'll see something on the skin that's the most common about 90 percent of food allergies manifest as a cutaneous reaction you know so hives in particular hives is it swelling hives um eczema is not really considered people with allergies can have eczema but 
eczema reaction is not considered part of that, you know, right. kind of anaphylactic. Or, um, and then they may, you know, may throw up. They may have runny nose. They may cough. You know, they may be become irritable. So, so parents are not going to over. They're not going to miss that. So they're going to stop the food. Hopefully, call their call their medical provider and that's if it's an allergy well yes if they in other words so your question was if if they if they have an allergy in the in the parent continues to offer it is that bad and it is like i said it's unlikely but it also is bad because the more exposures they get the worse the reactions tend to become Okay. So, yeah. And that was what the conventional wisdom was in the early 90s. That's what my brother and sister-in-law said. We're the they were near Johns Hopkins, so that's where they yes. went for the peanut allergy stuff. And they said the best hope he has to heal is to keep him off of it. Yes, so absolutely. His whole childhood yeah. have no incidences of exposure right. to peanuts. And maybe perhaps by the time he's grown, yes, he will not. And so he was, you know, he was very hesitant to even go back and get tested. Yeah, did he, he did he grow out of it? He did. Wonderful. That's wow. about. He did. Yeah, it's not. That's not. I mean, about 20, 25% of people with peanut allergy grow out of it. So he was one of the lucky few. Yeah. And they, you know, they common. said, you know, now if someone, if you ate and ate and yeah. ate and ate and ate it, yeah. just eating a peanut butter cookie mm-hmm. or having a peanut butter sandwich gotcha. on occasion, now you're, he's fine. Yeah. And that's, that. and that's really what you want is, is increased levels of tolerance. Because peanut is a very dangerous food allergy. It's one of the more dangerous food allergies, especially if a person also have has asthma. Because then when they react, now they're also clamping down, you know, in their lungs and wheezing and getting inflamed and you know you have to breathe so that's um but um but you know your thing about um treatment is avoidance that is absolutely true i mean when you've got a food allergy you avoid period and then you need to follow along with an allergist um because different different food allergies have different natural histories like like i said peanut you're less likely to grow out of you know hen's egg so egg allergy or cow's milk allergy more likely to grow out of but you do need some help along the way to kind of test do repeated testing and and maybe even exposure to to find out if that's if that has resolved so Mm -hmm. um so just to to sum up Mm -hmm. uh, when the body has a sensitivity this thing you're measuring in the blood that just means like that's I, when I think of antibody, I think of good thing. Mm-hmm. Like antibodies are yeah. good things, but you don't. But an antibody to a food, mm-hmm. it's it's thinking something is dangerous that's not. Is that what? Is that right? Exactly. That and that's really. I mean, man, the immune system is so fascinating, and that's the thing. Allergists, you know, allergists they are allergists and immunologists, so they study not just allergies but the immune system, and um, <clears throat> you know, I mean, the, the what you want from your immune system is to do what it's supposed to do and not do the things it's not supposed to. And, you know, so one of the things, you know, like for instance, with COVID now, a lot of, you know, really, you might could argue almost all the deaths from COVID have been um, an overreaction of the body's immunity to the virus. It's not even necessarily the virus itself. It's the body's reacting and overreacting to the point that it shuts down the body's systems and, and that sort of thing. So, so um, yeah. That's a whole different topic. Yeah, but that makes, yeah, <laughs> so, that's good for. Yeah. I'm yeah. trying to put it in non-sciencey terms. As uh, yeah. I like to say on this podcast. Uh, okay. So, yeah. <laughs> that for people like me who are listening. So yeah. okay, let me go back to something you said before. So, um, I just want to distinguish between an allergy and yes. a sensitivity. Okay. So allergy is pretty. Um, that's pretty hardcore. That's where you said you're going to notice within two yes. hours, probably 15 minutes. Yes something's happening that's not good yes and we probably should get some help for it mm-hmm. a sensitivity might be oh like my tummy really hurts yes and, oh, i've got a lot of gas or bloating or something like that and you just sort of naturally avoid it yes i, I that's true i think in the word sensitivity is confusing because allergists use the word sensitization and they mean something other than sensitivity so probably the best word to use is intolerance okay. what you're okay. calling that's sensitivity good. Um, I would call food intolerance, and okay. um, and there and there's just a lot of different things under that. Like we mentioned, lactose intolerance. And that, so that's what Savannah was having. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just at, at one or point, like, she too. knew it. Yeah, Her she just knew. knew. Yes. Yeah. So I have a intolerance to collard greens, but it's not the same thing. Right. <laughs> yes. Like, yes. Stink. Yeah. Like grass. Right. That's not the same thing as what you're talking about. That's right. Yeah. Okay. When you are having an allergic reaction to a food, you said 
skin, like there's hives. Yes, but then usually. What other, what else might a parent see? It, so many many body systems can can react, and and um, it is important to say, like I said, you know, ninety percent of the time there is a skin component, and that's helpful because it's visible, mm. and especially if you've got a very young child, they may not be able to express. I feel absolutely horrible right now, you know, mm-hmm. um, and so watching for things like they are unusually, well, they're, you know, unusually fussy or not as alert as typical or, you know, they're coughing, recurrent coughing or, you know, um, throwing, you know, vomiting, yes. profuse diarrhea, usually diarrhea associated with allergic reactions is, is it's not subtle. I mean, it's profuse, you know, and so, um and in fact, they've found that fatal, fatal anaphylactic reactions, you know, ones that um, people don't survive, tend to be associated with not having a rash because, um, the, because the rash is visible and people are able to tell more. Whereas sometimes an anaphylactic reaction could be, the symptom might be the person just feels super horrible. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there's a described like sense of doom, you know, they're kind of like, you know their systems are shutting down but they don't know how to describe it so so that's um, so scary in a young child an infant or you know nonverbal child yes it's so scary to think about that it makes you want to like not almost not feed them because you don't know i know well let me let me say this (laughs) in 26 years of practice i mean i've had a lot of kids with food allergies I have had a handful of them have to go to the ER, you know, for an anaphylactic type reaction. I've probably, I've had less than 10 parents have to give epinephrine, injectable epinephrine. I have not lost any kids to food allergies. So we're talking about a very rare occurrence. And so, and the other thing to remember is it pretty much never happens the first time the food is introduced so in a minute you know i think we're going to talk about kind of introduction of allergy foods to kids um it's it's subsequent you know exposures that are that are um the dangerous ones so okay Okay. thanks for talking yeah absolutely yeah Yeah. (laughs) it sounds i mean it's terrifying there's plenty of things to be terrified about as a parent and that's yet another one mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, yeah that's not one to be terrified to about know. right and yeah. okay let's do talk about introduction of foods because when we were having our children the pediatrician told us or told me i think they told you bonnie so don't introduce yes these particular foods so don't introduce peanut butter mm-hmm. for this amount, many amount of months right. and and so when our granddaughter Dottie Lou is coming along I'm looking at all the merch mm-hmm. to purchase <laughs> and I'm scrolling and it's like a little packets of allergens that you yes. can introduce your child to when they're little yes what's the, so what are we supposed to do what's the conventional packets wisdom now? What of allergens you, yeah so like yes. um little packets like peanut butter packets that you're in, introducing to your baby mm-hmm. on purpose to mm-hmm. like under- and not inoculate them like okay. you're ordering them and taking them to your house you're not even doing it at the doctor's office yes that's right so what's that about <laughs> well let me give you a little bit of history because it's super interesting in the mid to early 2000s it was noticed that jewish children who lived in israel had a much much like 10 times less likely to be peanut aller- allergic than jewish children who lived in london and the reason it matters that they're both sets of jewish children is because they're genetically similar right. to two different populations that aren't very di- you know that different genetically and so some scientists i think from the uk noticed this you know and um and they s- noticed that uh in in israel there is a little snack called bomba which is a puffed corn treat that has peanut in it that they start giving their kids around six months of age and it's just part of the culture it's made in israel people don't question it and i and i really don't know the history i don't know if they didn't get the information we got about you know avoiding but clearly they weren't avoiding it in any case and so um so that you know several studies ensued and it has been there's been there's been a ton of studies since then looking at this and there's no question that delaying introduction of allergy foods increases the risk of allergy that's especially true in high-risk kids so um, meaning like a kids with some eczema family history of allergy or atopy or eczema um, especially if they have a first degree relative you know like a parent or a sibling with a food allergy and the big one and the big one that it really early introduction affects is peanut so that you know because there's sort of the big eight food allergies yep. um and we'll talk about those in a second but 
they've looked at all those, but the but peanut is the one that if you have a high risk child and you introduce peanut to them before the time of six months old, it reduces their risk of becoming allergic to peanut by as much as 86%. I mean, it's, Whoa. yeah, it's really significant. Wow. The second one that is affected um, by early introduction, it looks like is egg. Um, and then the others, it's not as clear, but but since those studies have come out, the recommendations have changed. And so I think it was 2015 when, and it's been, it's kind of tough because, you know, you have allergists all over the world, you know, I mean, you know, thought leaders and researchers and things. And so they've had to try to come to terms with all of this information. And okay, what do we tell the popular, you know, what do we tell the public about tell this? Us. Tell us what I know, doing. right? Well, it's, it's, tr- it's a little tricky. So here's what, here's the wisdom is don't do it before four months of age um, because developmentally the child's not ready. It would be okay if the child got it. It's okay, but it's just developmentally they're not ready for solid foods at that point. But sometime after four months of age um, and and preferably before much after six months of age, you want to go ahead and introduce particularly peanut and egg. And, and I talk to patients about how to do that. And, and these products that you mentioned are um, – I don't have personal experience with them, but I know I have a lot of patients who use them, and I don't mind them using them. I think they're fine. They just make it easy. So, so what's the deal? So you introduce it, yes, and you know because it's one of the big eight, maybe, which, yes, that then you watch. Yes, what that's happens. right. So let me just tell you how I tell them to do peanut, um, and the method is two, two, two. So you take two teaspoons of smooth, preferably low sugar peanut butter. Um, mix it with some either hot water or warmed uh, breast milk or formula so that it's thin, kind of you know, nice and thin. You can take it on a spoon and, and offer it. And then you give it, and, and one serving would be all two teaspoons. You watch them for two hours. And, you know, you don't do this before you put them down for a nap, you know, and you, you watch them. And then if they do fine, then you want to continue to give it at least twice a week is the recommendation. So because there's evidence that if you do that once and then you say, oh, they're fine, and then don't do it again, you may not have helped anything. Not clear whether you've heard anything by the early introduction, but it may not have helped. So so you want to just kind of have it part of the schedule that you do that. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Two, two, two. Two, 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 two. teaspoons. Watch them for two hours, and then after that, twice a week. And I tell parents, if they want all two teaspoons, that's fine. That's one serving. If they don't, that's okay, too. Yeah. Okay. That's super information. And, you know, yeah. th- it's also, and I'll tell you, this is an interesting, as I prepared for this, I, I did some additional reading, because things do change all the time, and it, it's it's a fascinating area. But one thing is, it's important to introduce it through the gut. And so you actually don't want to put it on the skin. There is some evidence that when... A, an infant experiences an exposure to an allergen through their skin. So like in products that are made from foods, you know, applied onto the skin, it may increase their risk of becoming allergic. I will tell you that allergists say don't use food derived products on an infant's skin. And and here's okay. and here's okay. a way I know here's a way of thinking of it. And I thought this was a really nice analogy. Not original, but you know, it's like if you think of your body as sort of the house, you know, and your your mouth is sort of the front door. And then when stranger, you know, when someone comes to visit through the front door, you're like, you know, you can handle it. It goes through the gut. It's all good. Whereas if it comes through the skin, it's kind of coming through the window, okay? Mm-hmm. And it's sort of not the body doesn't know what to do with it, They're, it's more likely to make a reaction against that food. So you do want to introduce allergenic foods through the mouth, not through the skin. Great. I've already learned so much. I too. <laughs> so, interesting. so interesting. So and now we all need a nap. <laughs> Let me just ask, what is up with wheat yeah. and gluten? Yes. Well, What in the world? Is this like yes. a thing? My husband and daughter, she's 26, probably in the past year. Mm-hmm. Uh, 25 she's just started developing the sensitivity to gluten and yes husband's 54 mm-hmm. and in the past two years he has two out of nowhere yeah it, it, you're right it it, it it i mean it it's definitely increased um and it's hard to tell whether true so celiac disease is the true autoimmune disease that is gluten sensitivity um it's serious like, it's serious it send you to the hospital if you try you know. potentially yeah. well interestingly yes it can but sometimes people go for year years with the symptoms 
and don't recognize what it's caused by. And so it yes, it can be. Although, again, the symptoms can be sort of subtle. It's and it's really interesting, too, because that's evolved over time. You know, the incidence of celiac disease is about up as much as one in 100 people. Um, Yeah, that's really high. It is. It is high. But it used to. And, and, you know, I remember listening to something talking about the way you diagnose celiac disease is you do a blood test first. And then based on that, you, if it's positive, they go ahead and do endoscopy and they do a biopsy. So they actually take a little bit of the small intestine and they look to see how it looks under the microscope. And I think my understanding is that their definition of what qualifies as you know findings consistent with celiac has broadened a little bit so that's part of the reason they're you know so they're kind of making more diagnoses that maybe they used to not make um and it's tricky too because people can have a positive test and a negative biopsy and then as you know you can have people who have negative everything and they say hey man i definitely don't tolerate gluten so they so they avoid it so it's there's a lot of you know yes Okay, so not understood. Want, R- Renee, yes. tell about your European bread theory. Okay, so it's, it's, <laughs> my husband and I just did this in, I guess it was 2021, beginning in 2021. We just were like, okay, we need to make some health changes. Let's change how we're eating. Read some book, and it was like cut out wheat yes. in general. Just cut it out, mm-hmm. which I'm again, I love food so much. I'm against cutting out anything altogether, <laughs> yes. unless you're allergic, as right, you were saying. Sure. But, um, but I was like, I'm going to do it. We're going to do this together. And, and let's just say there's wheat. You go read the labels and yes. there's wheat in so many things. and stuff that, you, why yeah. is yes. there wheat in this? So yeah. wheat, wheat, wheat and corn were the big mm-hmm. ones. My husband ate a bowl mm-hmm. of popcorn every night and has for years and years and years. So we both cut all of that out. No corn, no corn products, no animals that were fed corn products, no animals that are fed wheat. Pro- I mean, it mm. was like wow. a real dictionary yeah. list of, yeah. the, you know, going shopping. And yeah, I dropped 10 pounds. He mm. dropped 25. Wow. Five pounds a week for five weeks running and then he just kind of settled out. But my stomach got flat. Mm-hmm. It got, not, I mean, it like I could tell a distinct difference in my belly. Mm. And my, my husband happened to have a physical, and so he just mentioned it to his doctor. And he said, you know, because we said, well, we don't think we have celiac or right. even a gluten intolerance yeah. necessarily. Like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And his just guess was that the um, chemicals we're spraying on our wheat here mm-hmm. is what I'm having a sensitivity to. Mm-hmm. The, the pesticides and the fertilizers. Because when we travel to Europe, mm-hmm. I can eat anything I want. I can eat. That's so interesting. Bread, yeah. pastries, you name it. No bloating, no gas, none of that. Mm-hmm. But but Roundup is illegal. Yeah. There and um and if I order my flour from mm-hmm. um not I don't order it straight from Italy, but it's mm-hmm. Italian flour, ground grown and ground mm-hmm. in Italy. I can eat that and I'm fine. Nice. Yeah. It is interesting. What's have you tried, Doctor Marcy? I know. Well, you know, I mean, it's all speculation, and that's right. the thing. But um, have you, even if you do just organic? Um, does that still have you tried that American yes. grown so but organic? Sometimes I'll do like King Arthur yeah. organic, mm-hmm. but I feel like I'm cheated so yeah. much now. I'm not all cleaned, cleaned yeah. out. So now it's not it's hard like to a tease good all test. that out. Yeah, yeah it's not it a good is. test. It is. So I, I just, yeah, I'm noted. We just notice things. Yes, and you know, just to be aware and and the joint pain. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband's always had weak, air quotes bad knees. He did a lot of running, mm-hmm. soccer, and he just is like kind of got used to living with the pain Mm -hmm. and then we did this elimination of wheat and corn and sugar yeah oh that's a biggie that's a biggie i mean which i mean that means alcohol too right because wine you know converts to sugar carbs convert Mm -hmm. to sugar white potatoes convert to sugar you know we really tried to eliminate a lot of that Mm -hmm. and about month two he was like you know what I'm climbing stairs with no pain for the first time in 15 years. That's fantastic. And yeah. so we we just definitely felt like it had something to do with yes, what we were eating. For sure. So much has to do with what we are eating. I agree with you. I, I don't know whether it's specifically the pesticides, although, I mean, everybody agrees pesticides aren't good for us. But, um, but you know, I also wonder, there's, again, it's just multifactorial. It's almost hard to talk about. Um, you know, when someone eliminates wheat, they're usually eliminating a lot of other stuff, including, you know, and I don't mean with you guys, you specifically eliminated sugar also, but a lot of times when you eliminate she- wheat, you're also eliminating sugar. You know, you're not doing no muffins, donuts, no donuts. or, you know, whatever it is, right. you know. So, yeah. and I also do wonder about, you know, you know, the, the fineness of the flour. I mean, if you, you know, if you make it into pastry flour, that's going to be a lot more 
pro-inflammatory, you could say, than if you have sprouted grains, you know, like an Ezekiel bread or something mm-hmm. like that. So I, I, I think um, each person really, I think, has to figure out what works for them. Um, and some, some of that you can do definitely, you know, with a physician's help. Some of that is just trial and error. And, you know, I tell parents all the time, you know, if you see an intermittent but recurring symptom and you can't pinpoint what's going on, keep a symptom diary and like be very intentional about it. Have a notebook or, you know, something, a, a, um, you know, if you want to do it digitally, that's fine. But when it occurs, put down when it occurred, you know, what it was, um, what, what were the foods that were eaten in the previous eight to 12 hours, that sort of thing. It's harder though, when you have something that's sort of in the background of your diet, like with, you know, if you're eating it every single day, the symptoms may never be really going away. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but yeah, trying a little elimination diets like that are okay. You have to be careful because you want to be sure you have proper nu- nutrition, you right. know, and carbs, we need carbs for energy. Absolutely. I mean, carbs are not bad, you know, I mean, um, but you, you want to go as close to nature as possible. I mean, you know, whole foods, you know, and I talk to parents about this all the time. A whole food is as close to nature as possible. So for instance, an apple, that's a whole food. Applesauce, technically not a whole food. Apple juice, technically not a whole food. If you're doing grains, you're not really 100% doing whole foods because, you know, you take that, you grind it and that sort of thing. I'm not saying it's bad, but you do have to be careful about what you eat and try to Try to avoid the stuff that's in the aisles, you know, that you open a package or a box to eat. Shop the outside. Shop the the outside of the grocery store. No question. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and we do. It takes self-awareness. I would say I was blissfully unaware. Yeah. Well, it wasn't blissful because I didn't feel good (laughs) in a lot of ways. Uncomfortably unaware. I was uncomfortably (laughs) unaware. And when I start paying attention to my body and how I respond, I mean, that's just that's just good health. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think so. And and I do think too, as people get older, sometimes they be, develop more body awareness. Now, when you guys were younger, you were, your attention was on your kids. I mean, you were distracted, you know, from your body. And as we get older, sometimes we get wiser about those things. And we sort of go, you know what, this isn't working for me. You know, I need to change something, you know, yeah. that's okay. That's right. Which is just, which brings me to like kind of a ancillary question. Why, why like, it, are we seeing allergies that don't develop in childhood that maybe develop in adulthood? So when my husband and I married, sure. I thought I was being a good wife and I made a big old pot of clam chowder. Now he had grown up on the East coast of the U S mm-hmm. eating seafood of every sort mm-hmm. his whole life. And like, he's up all night throwing up after that clam chowder, but I'm not, mm. I ate it. So it wasn't bad clams. Mm. And then we just kind of, Chalk it up to we don't know what it was. Mm-hmm. And then we go to a um, dinner with friends and it's a seafood themed. We all mm-hmm. brought a dish and we don't even make it home. He's on the side of the road mm. and pulling over. He's on the wow. side of the road throwing up. Yeah. And finally, we just put it together that he had had shellfish. We'd had mm. clams. We'd had shrimp. That By the third time, we're like, maybe you're allergic to shellfish. But you can't be. You've had it your whole right. yeah. life. Not necessarily. But not necessarily. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of beyond my, again, an allergist might be able to tell you. I'm not sure anybody knows for sure, really. But but that's true that fish, um, shellfish and fish allergies tend to develop, you know. I mean, they certainly can appear in children, you know you know, ten, you know, that maybe the second date of decade of life, 10 to 20 years old, but often they appear in middle-aged people. And, um, so it can just happen. Yes. And, and, and apparently there, there's really not any evidence that early introduction of those things, uh, decreases the risk of allergy is my understanding. I, if there is evidence, it's very mild. And so in other words, in other words, fish and shellfish aren't at the top of the list for things to introduce early to your baby. Right. Um, the big ones are going to be peanut, um, egg, and then I, actually cow's milk is in a, it is on that list as well. Um, and actually, I should say, um, for completeness sake, um, of, of the tree nuts, cashew particularly is kind of a rough one. And so it's not part of the official recommendation, but early introduction of cashew butter is probably also a good idea. Okay. And again, you can do it just the same way with peanut butter. Um, you know, get the cashew butter and put it some warm milk or water in it and and then offer it but watch them for two hours and and all that it's not as common of an allergy but there is some evidence that early introduction may help avoid that allergy as well so that was some of the top eight what are the yeah what are the top eight just trying to look for oh yeah yeah Yeah. so cow's milk like you said yes egg peanut tree nuts like you mentioned soy wheat and then fish and shellfish 
And then sesame also yes. is an emerging allergy. That's, that's right. That makes me so out. sad. That's like a, one of my favorite flavors. Yeah. Oh, yes. I yeah. love the flavor of sesame. Yeah. So introduce it early. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's interesting. Um, and I, I, again, I don't know if sesame introduction affects, you know, allergy. So mm-hmm. that's, um, but an important point about sesame is, you know, now foods have to be labeled um, with allergens, but they're only labeled for the big eight. So sesame is actually not on the food labels. So they that's a little bit harder oh, to, um, okay. to navigate. There's a really good um, website. Um, it's foodallergy.org, not foodallergy.com, foodallergy.org. Um, that's the Food Allergy Research and Education Organization that I do recommend anyone with uh, questions about this or with a child with food allergy go there for help uh, so what about inhalation mm-hmm. because there was a time this is my son-in-law again sorry to pick on you brand but um <laughs> where he had to board southwest airlines first so oh. he could wipe down his seat area because you know mm-hmm. the airlines used to peanuts was the thing everybody yes. got peanuts and a drink so um and then we had some friends of ours who like they couldn't go into logan's or some of these steakhouses that would mm-hmm. have peanuts on the table because it would just be so much it's in on the, the floor people are tr- yes. walking through it yeah. and all that all stuff yes down. so it, you can react to things that you touch or inhale um my understanding is that that you're it's much you're much less likely to have an anaphylactic reaction from that versus particularly from touching something versus um ingesting it yes but at the same time it's always good to be careful and you know I mean I've heard people tell stories of you know what sounded to me like an anaphylactic reaction from touching it and I'm not gonna you know second guess somebody's um story but but that's that's kind of what is said okay yeah yeah so I've read that washing with soap and water if you get if you have touched it or put it on your hands Mm -hmm. or your child gets into it washing with soap and water is the only way to stop that reaction hand sanitizers aren't going to cut it yes that's right those proteins so the same is true for cleaning tabletops. Mm-hmm. You have yes. to use right. soap and water. Yep, that's um, right. And I think about school situations, school cafeterias, whatever. And I know, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> they're cleaning the tabletops in the cafeterias all the yes. time. Are they using the right things? I don't know. But a lot of schools mm-hmm. just now don't like you can't bring peanut mm-hmm. butter and jelly to the lunchroom at all. Yes. Just in case you trade lunches or mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they yeah. Have allergen or isolated like allergy-free tables mm-hmm. in I've schools? Heard those, yes. Yes. I've heard of those, yes. I've heard of those, yeah. I, I don't that's... know how common that is, really. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not in the schools, so I'm not I'm not sure. But um, they they have, they, and the schools are actually very, very good about with this. Every year before the school year starts, we fill out allergy action plans for all of our kids with an identified food allergy. And so they're very aware. You know, of course, they keep their EpiPens on, their ep- injectable epinephrines, I should say, on hand. And, um, and you know, it's thankfully it's easy to substitute, you know, foods, you know, if, if they would be having say milk, then, okay, let's have this other food, you know? And so, um, they'll, they'll offer those things if we specify those things for them. Um, but yeah, um, schools have had to be very knowledgeable and, um, proactive about preventing these things because they are so serious. Which brings me to the question, what about moms and dads of classmates who think that it's not really a big deal that yeah. it's that oh or we've had family members who say oh you're fine you're being, they're yeah. fine you're being dramatic <laughs> yeah. it's and they really grandparents who di- totally disregard yes their grown children's yeah request to avoid foods when they're with you know when they have that child well, they, well they're cooking a certain way they're used to cooking a certain yes. way yes. so it's hard to change That's, or they don't say I'll no when that. they're out at the fun place and they mm-hmm. let them get that food that they're not supposed to have and mm-hmm. then the child is sick it's not anaphylactic shock because i think the grandparent would stop right, right. That, it wouldn't they wouldn't do it again <laughs> yeah, yeah. so right. so do you have advice do you have help that you give parents when that's that going is on? tricky i mean with a lot of issues in pediatrics <laughs> yeah. actually with with grandparents because often grandparents are like ah i did it to you you're fine exactly. you know and it's i mean it's it's frustrating it's you wish that grandparents would even if they disagree you know honor 
the parents' wishes about things like this and other things. But um, but I think working with a healthcare provider can help. And I have written letters. I have written, you know, you know, in the electronic <laughs> medical record and said, dear, you know, this is the situation. It's really important. Thank you for your help and for, you know, loving your chi- grandchild, you know. And so, I mean. So a voice of authority yeah, can sometimes help certain it, it, I mean, if that's people. really a problem, I think you should do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah. Like, we, we Dr. were Drew Marcy said so. We were just saying in the passy episode, if you can't, you know, if your kid doesn't want to get rid of the passy, sometimes when the doctor says, yeah, you're too big for that. You don't really need that anymore. That's what a certain personality so needs to like, hear. Yes. That's, that's yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's Get crazy. a doctor's note, mom. <laughs> that's so Hand it to the grandparents. Yes. So let's talk about EpiPens because my children didn't have them, but I did watch friends children who had them and they kind of gave me a quick run through here's what happens here's Mm -hmm. what you look for here's how you stick it in their legs so can you walk us through that absolutely it is so important to know that um, the treatment for an exposure to a food allergy you know in a child who's food allergic and then they're having a reaction um, sometimes they can be life-threatening and that's called anaphylaxis and so with anaphylaxis um, the only treatment for anaphylaxis, the only life-saving treatment for anaphylaxis is use of injectable epinephrine. You mentioned EpiPen, which is one brand. There's There are other brands. AviQ is one, um, and there's other generic. I think in- we use it like Kleenex. Like yeah. we say Kleenex for everything now, oh, no, but it's the right. facial yeah. tissue. Is Xerox, actually what yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Band-Aid. Yeah, so I that. thought yeah, EpiPen was just like what it was. It was yes. a brand. It, EpiPen is a brand. Yes, <laughs> okay. that's okay. right. So yeah, injectable epinephrine. If a child has a food allergy, they should always have an EpiPen right with them. So, um, and I'll sometimes, you know, ask, you know, when we're in the office together, you know, so where's your EpiPen? You know, so, and it's like, if it's in the car, uh, you fail. You know, yeah. it's like, it needs to be, oh, you know, it really yeah. should be with the child all the time. Easier said than done, yes, but, but it it's is. true. I'm yeah. trying to think of all the circumstances on the playground. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But, but you don't want to delay the give, you know, giving epinephrine if a child is in anaphylaxis. The tricky part is to decide, is this anaphylaxis or is this just a little allergic reaction? Um, again, most um, allergic reactions consist of a, a skin finding, so hives, things like that. But if there's that and something else, so if they have hives and they throw up or they have hives and they're coughing or they, you know, any sort of two things, you should go ahead and and, and give uh, the injectable epinephrine. Okay, my husband's a veterinarian. Okay. Yes. So a lot of times dogs will be allergic to what it might be seeing or yes. you know, whatever comes along. Well, his prescription generally over the phone if he gets called is Benadryl. Benadryl is not going to work in this situation. You know, Benadryl does block the histamine response, but it doesn't save lives in the case of anaphylaxis. So let's say a child got exposed to some egg and they have an egg allergy and they developed hives and you gave just some Benadryl. Yes, the Benadryl would probably help those hives to go away quicker, although it takes you know, I don't know, 30, 45 minutes for that to kick in. So it may have been that the hives would have gone away by that time anyway. Mm-hmm. But the Benadryl will not save a life. Now, if you have somebody in anaphylaxis and you've given the epinephrine, and, and again, if anybody, you know, takes care of or has a child with um, food allergy, they need to be familiar with that, that uh, epinephrine, that injectable epinephrine. They need to get the trainer, look at it, use it. You know, you do it on the, on the front of the thigh, sort of the front and then to the side of the thigh, the big muscle right there at the thigh. You can do it right through clothing. Um, You don't delay it. And there is really no case in which you can't give epinephrine. In other words, you know, if you say, oh, but you know, they're so little or, but, oh no, they have a cold. There is no reason to not give epinephrine. Even if a child, I mean, (laughs) you know, wasn't having a reaction at all. If you just gave it, went up and gave them epinephrine, you wouldn't hurt them. They would, their heart rate would go up. You know, they might look a little pale. They might be fussy. You're not going to hurt them. So you always want to, yeah, Yeah. err on the side of giving the epinephrine. Yes. Yeah, I didn't know that either. But then what you want to do, if if you want to then give some antihistamine, that's fine. If you've got a child who's vomiting or coughing, they may not be able to take something orally, you know, without intolerate, without aspirating or something. But you really should either call 911 or go to an emergency department. Um, because sometimes these reactions have two phases. You can have kind of the first phase, you give the epinephrine, typically it'll, you know, kick in within a few minutes. And by the way, if it's getting worse, say five, 10 minutes later, they're not better and you aren't at an ER, the ambulance isn't there, give it again, give another one. And they usually do come in two packs for that reason. Um, but, but again, you know, sometimes hours later, re- the reaction can kind of, you know, start up again. And so you really should, if you've given epinephrine, if it's been anaphylaxis, you should have given epinephrine and then you should 
see a healthcare provider, probably on an emergent basis. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's not really good to know that you're not going to do any harm. Yes. That's right. By giving it. It's scary to give it, yeah. but you are not going to harm them. That's yeah. right. That's good. Mm-hmm. That's good. Helpful. Yeah. Really yeah. helpful. Yeah. Um, okay. If your child is allergic to a food, we've kind of talked about this, that it's possible to grow out of a peanut allergy or an mm-hmm. egg allergy or whatever. So they're not necessarily always going to be allergic to it. Yes. Um, maybe in most cases, mm-hmm. they'll continue to be allergic or have sensitive at least through mm-hmm. life. But there's nothing that, no medication to prevent a food allergy, right? There's no medication to prevent food allergy. Although this is a really important, um, you know, of course, the early introduction of, of allergenic foods is that's one of the things we talked about is sort of ways of preventing food allergy. That's one of the big uh, methods we use right now. But there are some other things that are kind of interesting. One of them is having the mother during the pregnancy have a normal vitamin D level. And so vitamin D supplementation, there's evidence that that reduces the child's risk of atopic diseases in general and food allergies in, in particular. Widely known knowledge. I've never heard that. Wow, I've never you know, heard that. It's it's interesting. I'm not sure. Vitamin D is a very interesting topic in itself. You could have a big, um, but it does. It is. We call it a vitamin. It's technically a hormone, but it has such um, huge effects on our immune system, and. They don't really, definitely supplementing a person with vitamin D, so giving them enough so that their levels improve or, or get to a normal level. Um, does help a lot of different medical conditions, but they also think that vitamin D levels are probably a marker of good health. So in other words, if you have someone who spends a lot of time outside, gets regular exercise, eats a healthy diet, sleeps well, you know, low stress, probably their vitamin D levels are more likely to be normal anyway. Okay, so probably what you just said, most Americans do not have exactly, exactly. good vitamin D levels. I think we're you're, very low. Yes, you're exactly right. And, and so yeah, vitamin D deficiency. I'm almost surprised when I get a level on a child and it's normal. It, it, is, it is important to have a normal vitamin D level. Uh, and so anyway, so with, with pregnant women, if they can, so a prenatal vitamin has about 600 IUs of vitamin D in it, international units, that's how they're measured. Mm-hmm. And that's fine, but supplementing with an additional 2,000 to 4,000 a day is a good idea. Now, vitamin D is a fat-soluble vitamin. You can overdose it, just like vitamin A, vitamin E, vitamin K, and vitamin D. You you don't want to take too much of those because you can overdose and you can cause problems. Um, And the maximum amount of vitamin D that an adult should take a day is about 5,000 international units a day. But if you take that prenatal vitamin plus an additional 2,000 to 4,000 a day, there's evidence that that helps reduce risk of atopy. Great news. Yeah. That is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Really. It is interesting. Yeah. Um, so what else can, I just had this question the other day from a, a young person who's thinking about having children someday. Is there anything besides that? Now that's mm-hmm, new information mm-hmm. for me. She can do to help prevent food allergies. Like if, should she, while she's pregnant, eat a bunch of peanuts? Okay. So they're, they've studied this specifically and Definitely avoiding allergenic foods during the pregnancy is not going to help. In other words, it's better to eat any allergenic food that you tolerate. So obviously, if you have a peanut allergy and you're pregnant, you're not going to eat peanuts. But if you do tolerate it, it's it's a good idea to, to maybe even intentionally eat those things. So yeah, because you're passing all that. Your baby's eating what you're yeah. eating. Well, you know, I mean, that's the that would be the theory. We, You know, who knows? It's not really understood why this is the case. It's so hard to study these things because you're looking at effects and you have to look at thousands of patients and you're just speculating about why these things have the effects they do. But definitely a pregnant woman should eat any allergenic food she tolerates, she should eat it. And the same with breastfeeding. She should not um, avoid allergenic foods. Now, you can see food allergens show up in the infant of a breastfeeding mother. And the classic one we see a lot is cow's milk allergy. So um, so mom's eating a lot of cheese yep. and milk. Or even some. doesn't have to whatever. be a lot. And yeah. the baby's all of a sudden fussy. Well, you know, actually the most common symptom that shows up is is blood in the diaper blood in the stools and it's usually painless it's really it's really strange and it just looks like bright red blood usually not a whole lot but it'll kind of go over a period of time and the most common reason for that is a cow's milk allergy this allergen's being passed through the breast milk to the infant the infant's making a reaction and it's causing irritation of their gut 
Um, so what we typically do is, and, and this is actually not an IgE mediated allergy. This is different. It's a, it's a specific, it's, it's immune mediated, but not IgE mediated. So anyway, what we do is we take mom off all dairy. Usually within two to three weeks, the blood in the stools goes away. And the good news with that one is usually, um, they grow out of it. So by the time they're a year old, they usually tolerate cow's milk. You can also though, see if a mom is breastfeeding, and um, drinking cow's milk, the child develop things like eczema or other signs of a food allergy um, that is actually IgE mediated. So, so yes. Um, and then at that point, the mother would want to remove that from her diet, but you would not want to do that unless there was a reason to do that. You know, if the child was showing signs of something. So you didn't mention if the baby is really fussy. So like, we all did this, right, Bonnie? Oh, yeah. So, like, yeah. I have a friend who loves some ranch dressing. And yes. every time she, which is milk, right? Yes. And yeah. a lot of other things. And, yes. <laughs> and, and the baby would scream. Or she would eat eggs for breakfast every day yeah. before this baby. And I think she ate them during her pregnancy. But when the baby was born and she was nursing, it was screaming, screaming, screaming. Well, yeah. um, and the hours after, she would, you know, nurse her. Mm-hmm. So she was just like, I'm not going to eat eggs until we're not nursing anymore. Yeah, and, and that's fine. On. That's a good choice. Um, but I'm guessing that you're saying like that's not a one to one correlation every time a baby's really fussy. That's <laughs> right. There's so many reasons. <laughs> There's so many reasons for yeah. babies to be fussy. No question. Yeah. And it can be really hard to tease out. Um, but I do, you know, tell you know a mom if she notices, man, you know, when I eat that, it, it we don't have a good night, and I say, well, don't eat that. Yeah. You know, so yeah. and then you could if you want to maybe when they're six nine. 12 months old introduce it again and see that's okay as long as there wasn't something that looks like a dangerous type reaction yes. you know? and I think that's what this mom did and she like um, as the baby got older I think she nursed her a year um, she could get away with like one mm-hmm. little serving one small serving yeah you know of that item that was yes. causing the problem makes sense and then, yeah. you, know, you can give up anything for a year I know. Go back. You've already given it up for nine months. I know, right? <laughs> everything else, just right everything else you've yeah. been through, right. might as well. <laughs> sacrifice. That's right. uh, comes with the territory. That's right. That's right. Oh my goodness. Okay, so um, I have seen a lot of at-home sensitivity tests lately, and maybe because we were preparing for this, but all of a sudden they're coming up in my feed. You know. My oh Facebook. yeah, they your phone up, heard they you say it. Yes. Yes. That's right. Yeah, yes. and I I so want to order one just out of curiosity. But well, then I read the reviews and they're like they're garbage. Don't do it. Well, that's my question. Yeah, you Everly Well and what's the other one? Five Strands or whatever. You can get them at Walmart. Yes, absolutely. Is yeah, it worth it. What's- you know I. Like I said, I don't have any personal experience with that, but I've had patients who've used it. I don't discourage them from using it. I do talk to them about introducing the actual food itself, you know, and the methods to do that um, versus using a product like that. But, you know, people are busy and they like, you know, and also I think people have this um, in parents have it. Well, parents are insecure, period, you know, just <laughs> full stop. But you heard um, here, I see another yeah. episode in the future. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, they're so insecure that oh, now I've got to introduce these eight foods. How am I going to give clams to my baby? You know, and all this kind of. And so it's a way of, you know, being sure, okay, check, check, check. You know, we, we introduced all this stuff. So what I, what my question would be is, is there enough of that food protein in there to do what we're trying to do? And that's, I mean, I don't think it's studied. Um, so, because, you know, like with the two teaspoons of peanut, there's a specific reason for that. That's because that's how much sort of peanut protein you need to make sure that you're getting, you know, enough exposure to, to, um, help awesome. induce, yes. induce tolerance. Yes. Like that. Yeah. yeah maybe so there is, maybe there isn't, maybe right. it's just barely enough to. Register. Yes. And I, I actually did, you know, again, in kind of looking up some information for this talk, um, I went on one of those websites for the first time. I think it was ready set food is the name of it, but I mean, there are several and I ordered a, you know, you can get kind of a sample box and information for professionals. So I'm, I'm okay. going to have that sent to the office and we'll see. And I looked, you know, and there are, you know, physicians on the board you know I guess of the you know so I mean that would be I guess that's a positive sign but it it, the bottom line is I just don't think those things are studied Mm -hmm. and um, usually marketing gets ahead of science in a lot of ways you know I mean that's that's a a big problem a lot it's like okay if 
you know, there's a little flicker of information that this might be good. And then bang, here goes the marketing. Here comes the products. We're and like, people snap money. it up. Yeah. Take our yeah. money. I want to know. So, and it's, I mean, <laughs> as long as you, again, you know, first do no harm. If it's not hurting anything except your pocketbook, it's fine. But I, I'm not sure that it makes a difference. Okay. Yeah. Well, good to know. Yeah. So yeah. maybe I'll get it. Maybe I won't. Right. I, at first I was <laughs> Why thinking, not? oh, she's going to tell me I can do it. I can do it. <laughs> but it is. I mean, they're not cheap. Uh, yeah. If you look at some of these, they're $150 or $200 yeah. to have the kit, you know, yeah. mailed to your house. Well, and then the other thing is that, again, part of the reason I make the recommendation for early introduction of allergenic foods to all babies is because... I may not know their family history and I, or I may forget it. I may forget that the dad, yes, or, you know, sometimes they do, but even if they're not, you know, I may not remember, oh yeah, dad has a peanut allergy. I forgot about that. Or, you know, and so it's just better to, it's easier for me to do the same thing across the board. So I do just recommend early introduction of allergenic foods for all the patients. And, um, but what I was going to say is, um, I think parents that don't have a family history of it, worrying so much about it and spending a lot of money on it is probably not time or worry well spent, you know, Um, because if you don't have a strong family history, chances are you're not going to have a problem. But I think just doing those normal, you know, introductions between four and six months of age, um, you're going to be fun. Okay. Great. Great. I love this episode. I Thank you so, so much. much. It was a lot of fun. Wow. It's a lot of fun. I'm really yeah. sad I didn't pick you, Marcy. <laughs> oh my I'm even more sad now. You could have another baby. <laughs> there you go. Let's, let's I'm not that sad. I'm not that sad. <laughs> <laughs> this was really helpful. I think this is going to bless a ton of moms out there. I do too. Yeah. Who yeah, have these questions, family members who maybe you know have a loved one. Mm-hmm. It's going to really help them. Yeah. yeah. Be supportive and glad. be more knowledgeable. It was fun. Thank you, guys. Okay, well, you can find all of this uh, information on our website, justaskyourmom.com, or Facebook, Just Ask Your Mom, or also Instagram at Just Ask Your Mom Podcast. Yeah, and we'd love for you to rate and leave a review if you're listening, and better yet, subscribe, and you can get each new Monday episode. And send us more of your questions and topic suggestions. We love hearing from you. You can email us at justaskyourmompodcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time on Just Just Ask Ask Your Mom. Mom.